0: Listening to Cherokee Hills Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about CHBC or ways to get involved, visit chbcok.info. Good morning. Good morning. If you would open up your Bibles to the Book of Acts, Acts chapter fourteen. This morning we're going to be in verse twenty-one. 21 and 22. So Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22. The last few weeks we've been walking through chapter 14. The last place that we see Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra. They have a difficult encounter there. God does a great work, but they go through this kind of interesting encounter where the people there think that they're gods. They Credit them for being Zeus and Hermes. Begin to worship them. We talked about that over the last couple of weeks and how they dealt with that. And eventually, they were roughed up a bit and they were sort of cast out. And the Bible says that they went then to a place called Derby. And this is what the Scripture says. Look at this in Acts chapter fourteen, in verse twenty-one. It says, they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Listen to that one more time. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you this morning and we're so thankful for your word we're thankful for what it does to us. Lord, how it cuts to the core of who we are. And Lord, how nothing is hidden from you. And how your word, even in the darkest of times, can be so bright and so powerful and so amazing. Lord, how no matter how hard our hearts can get, Lord, you soften it through the tenderizing of your word. And so, God, we count on all of that today and ask you to move mightily and powerfully in us. In Jesus' name amen the bible says that they preached. the moment that they got in to derby they began to preach and to proclaim the good news that is the gospel and we've heard this time and time again is that jesus lived that he died and that he rose again it has a powerful effect on your life when you receive him if you're a believer this morning how many of you know that jesus has made a powerful effect on your life It changes everything. It gives us the forgiveness of sins. It gives us access to God. We no longer have to go through any kind of high priest. There's no middleman anymore. We have direct access to God. What a powerful and wonderful truth. We get to see God do supernatural things in our lives and in the families that we are a part of. We get to see God's handiwork. It's powerful. It's awesome that this gospel changes us. Well, as they were preaching this gospel in Derby, these people were experiencing that same powerful moment, those same powerful things. God was working in powerful ways, saving them from their sins, setting them free, giving them power to walk with God. An amazing thing was happening. But what I noticed in this passage, I think it was very powerful and something to pay attention to. It says after they had won a large number of converts. Is that what, is that what it says? to say that they won a large number of converts? No, No, what the Bible says is that they won a large number of what? Disciples, these are intimate followers of Christ. These are people that did not just pray a prayer. These are people that did not just line up on this side to be on this team rather than the other. These were people who made a commitment with their lives. Did you hear me, church? who made a commitment with their lives, an unwavering commitment, that this is what I believe, this is what I hold fast to, and this is what I forever will hold fast to. This is a committed relationship. Amen. Now let me tell you about committed relationships. My first committed relationship started in kindergarten. A little girl, her name was Camilla, And Camilla and I had a really deep relationship. She brought those tiny miniature peanut butter cups made by Reese's, and I gladly enjoyed them. But you know what? There was a day that happened where she ran out of those peanut butter cups, and that ended our relationship. (laughs) That was a deep committed relationship, wasn't it? Of course not, right? That was a relationship based on me getting what I want out of that deal. I wanted Reese's peanut butter cups. When that river stopped, so did that friendship, right? So that's not very committed. What I'm talking about are committed relationships. I'm talking about that kind of relationship where you realize what Jesus did for you, what God did in his great love to show you by the sending of his son Jesus, living, dying, and then being brought back to life so that we could know that forgiveness, experience that forgiveness, and have the power of God on our lives. And then because because we understand that great and powerful truth, we surrender completely and totally to him. The Bible says that they made disciples. The other interesting thing here is that it says that after they had had these large number of disciples, It says that they returned then back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They had gone back to visit all the places they had been, and every place they had seen the Lord move, and in every place they were committed disciples. And so what they knew is that they had to go back to these young believers, because they were young believers. They had to go back to each of them, go find them, and make sure that they were not wavering or falling by the wayside in their faith. Now we've seen some interesting things happen here over the last few weeks. You realize in the last few weeks we've had six or seven people give their hearts and lives to Jesus. Now here's here's the amazing thing about that is that all six or seven were people who at one time said that they had already given their heart and life to Jesus but I've heard the same story in each of their testimonies that said this. Man, before there was a time where I I heard and, and I didn't really understand, but all of them had different reasons for taking that step or moving to pray that prayer or to become religious or become staples or involved in a church. They all had different things and different reasons to be where they were at and to identify their spirituality But it wasn't until over the last few weeks that the Holy Spirit of God spoke to their hearts, showed them their real condition with him. That there was no relationship, there was no committed relationship. And in fact, that can be absolutely tiring for someone who isn't sure. Someone who's walking through doubt not sure of their salvation, not sure of the eternity. They try to keep proving themselves to God. And they start doing more works and more works, and serving more, it brings no joy, It's, it's very fleeting. But what's amazing is that the Holy Spirit of God, by the way of his word, and by the influence of the testimony of people around them, these six or seven individuals, under the conviction of God, realize I never really fully committed my heart and life to Jesus. And I got to hear at least a few of them do that in my presence, to give their heart and life to the Lord with now no doubt With now no question that they know Jesus. And and I wonder if they're the only ones. I wonder if still there are some here this morning that might be wrestling with their faith. And you need to understand where I come from. I'm not one of those guys that's going to sit and try to make you question your faith. I'm not going to try to make you doubt your salvation. What my job is to do as your pastor is to present to you the word of God. To give you spiritual leadership according to the word of God, to preach and teach these powerful truths. It is the Holy Spirit's job to identify your heart, to look deep into who you are and show you where you stand with him. And so this is important because I think this is where the rubber meets the road, if you will. Because someone who has not given their heart and life to Jesus will have no desire for a committed relationship with him. And what I mean by that is they're not willing to do what it takes to live out the fruit of God. If you're with me, say I am. Amen. And so they went back, strengthening these believers, these disciples, and encouraging them because they knew what the outside world influence was like. They knew that these people were, the, the places that they were in, these new believers, the places they were in were not conducive for great spiritual growth. There, were a lot of, there was a lot of animosity. A lot of challenge. And so they went back to strengthen and encouraged him. But listen to what it says this. It says here's what their strengthening and encouragement came in. It says their encouragement came so that they would remain true to the faith. And then he ended it with this statement. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now think about those two things for a second. The strengthening and the encouragement. The message that Paul and Barnabas were taking to all these believers who had given their hearts and lives to Jesus, who had given themselves, committed themselves to follow the Lord, the message they were going back and strengthening and encouraging them with was this, remain true, remain true, and know that in all of your life there will be hardships. There will be times when this life gets hard, but you are to remain true. And I will tell you, we live in a time and a place where in the church, it has become difficult for believers to remain true. And you have to ask yourself the question, why? So in studying and and praying over this, I believe the Lord showed me a few things, a few insights into this scripture. When they were being encouraged and strengthened They were being encouraged and strengthened in the core of who they are. And your core is made up of a few things. And I want you to write this down if you're a note taker. First and foremost, our spiritual core is God's word and the time we spend with him in prayer and walking in obedience to him. I would consider that one pillar of our core. It's the disciplines, it's the disciplines. We talk about that all the time here. It is so important for a believer to make sure that you're in the word every single day, that it is a discipline, because it's the word of God that cuts to the core of our being and identifies who we are, it identifies our strengths, it identifies our struggles, and it gives us guidance in all things. The word of God gives us wisdom. How many of you know the word of God gives us wisdom? Spend some time in the book of Proverbs and you'll learn how to live life. Spend some time in Psalms and you'll learn how to praise even in the most difficult circumstances. Spend some time in the Gospels and you'll see how Jesus lived and can model your life in that very same way. The entire book has been given to us to show us the heart of God and the way of God. It's a powerful, powerful book and it's supernatural. And so it makes sense then that the believer ought to spend regular and disciplined time in the word, letting it shape how we think and who we are. If you're with me, say I am. It's important. We talk about it all the time. It's important for the believer to pray, to spend time with God. Not just praying and giving your request, although that's a part of it, but to sit just in quiet meditation and listening to what God would say, speaking softly into our hearts, asking God for wisdom in every decision that we're making, everything that we're doing, and everything going on in our life. Taking everything that we have in our life before him in prayer, it's important. And also a part of that discipline in whatever God says in those times, in the word, in times of prayer, to make sure that we're being obedient to what he says. All of that one pillar of our spiritual core. And why is that so important? Because it sets the table for everything else. In what I would call the creation of spiritual muscle memory. Spiritual memory. Muscle now keep that in mind. We'll talk about it more in just a minute. The next pillar in our spiritual core is our ethics. It's our ethics. Here's how the dictionary defines ethics. It's our moral principles that govern our behavior. If you have a problem with that definition, you can take it up with Webster. It's our moral principles that govern our behavior. Now, in the, in the Christian worldview, that is how the believer should function and work in everyday life and every day that they have on this earth. In the Christian worldview, our ethics come from the Bible. Now let that settle in. Our ethics come from the holy scriptures of God. Period. Our ethics are to come from the word of God. Our moral principles that govern our behavior, meaning the way that we think and the way that we act, those should only come from the word of God. There is never an opportunity as a believer that God gives me that I can go rogue on my own and develop my own moral principles. But it happens. This is why I park on the disciplines all the time because when you are faithful and disciplined in the disciplines of our faith, the word, prayer, obedience. When you are grounded there, they will naturally guide your ethics. And if we're not careful, if we dip away from those things, our ethics can be manipulated by lots of things. Let me give you at least three. One of those things are people. You spend enough time around somebody and you will start to take on traits from that person. I remember going to Alaska for several years in a row, every summer. I was ministering to these Athabascan and Eskimo people there in Alaska. And when you went there, you didn't go for a couple of days, you went there for a couple of weeks to do ministry. They talk different in Alaska, especially those natives. Everything's really slow. So I'd start thinking, hey guys, how are you doing, man? It's good to see you. And when I came home, I'd be like, hey dude, how are you doing, right? They sort of slur their words a little bit. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, say man, Come on, Steve, I got at least one. Hey dude, what's the hurry, man? How are you doing? What time are we eating dinner? Probably about dark 30, eh? You know what I mean? So it would take me, then this true again, I would come home, it'd take me about two weeks to snap out of it, right? I'd talk just like that. And so when you're around somebody, you take on their sayings, you're saying stuff right now. Your spouse probably recognizes this. You're saying things right now that you never said before. It's because of that new friend you've been hanging out with. Your style can change. Your preferences can change. People affect how you think and how you are. If you're with me, say I am. So it can be the closest people in you, that's your family. Your family can have an effect on what you believe and what you think. Your friends can have an effect on what you believe and what you think. And this is the one that puzzles me the most. Influencers. Influencers. By way of entertainment, let's just park there. Entertainers, because they're popular and have a platform, influence so many people and how they think. Do you know who the top influencers are now with teenagers? Number one, by far, it's not parents anymore. You know what it is? It's video game players who have their own channel on YouTube. Okay, that, think about that. These are the credentials that they have influencing your kids. They're really good at a video game. They've recorded themselves doing it on YouTube. They have millions of followers. And now all of a sudden that they have this huge following, they start talking about their religion, their politics, their belief systems, what they think are right. They're telling your kids what is right and wrong in relationships. Are you kidding me? With names like PewDiePie. Are you kidding me? And there's probably a teenager that wants to correct me real bad because I didn't say it right. Did I nail it? Come on. But there are influencers like that that are telling our kids how to think and how to act. And their leading credential is that they're really good at a video game. That doesn't seem to appall you as much as it appalls me. I'm still waiting, at least look mad. (laughs) People with no credentials, with no credibility are speaking moral character, or the lack thereof, into our kids. A superstar can get up at an awards show and spout their belief About whatever. And their only credibility is a chain of hit songs or a platform that they have. And people will just believe it because so and so said it. Does that not scare you to death? Influencers. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I love you and I love my job. But politics, politics. Now I'm gonna tell you something. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. You never hear me say from this platform what I am. You may have guesses based on what you've heard me say or what you've seen on my Facebook or whatever. I try to even not mess with that too much. But I need you to understand something very plainly and clearly about me. Everything I believe and think has nothing to do with my party affiliation. Now, I'm looking you in the eye the best that I can so you can know my heart. When you hear me talk about being pro-life, it has nothing to do with a political party. When you hear me talking about human sexuality, when you hear me talking about social justice and things like that, It has nothing to do with my political party. It has everything to do with my biblical ethic. As I have looked at what God's word says, not what somebody told me, as I've studied the scriptures, I've allowed it to shape who I am in my heart and in my mind. And these are the things that I will stand. When I see God fight for it, I'm going to fight for it. I see God speak up on it, I'm going to speak up on it. And that's the truth. I don't care about political parties. I don't care how people line up. In this church, we have a whole mixed blend of everybody, but I will tell you this. Do, ne- do not ever let a political party's platform override your biblical ethos. <laughs> because at any given moment, you will have to set aside your party line To stand up for the truth of God. And you may have to separate yourself on certain issues because of what the Bible says. But what we have now, and this is just being honest with you, is we have a lot of believers who claim the book and then try to live compartmentalized lives that the Bible does not allow for this Bible never allows for you to create compartments in your heart and mind so that I can live by this on Sunday and believe something else during the rest of the week. It's not true. You can't win that argument. It's not so. That's the enemy trying to take away the power and the reach of God's mighty word. And we're not going to allow it here So don't let people or politics shape your ethics. It's only the word of God. And the third thing is popular opinion. It's what most people think or what most people believe. We've got a lot of history that tells us that popular opinion is flawed. And at least, the least you can argue is it has the potential to be flawed because we've seen it be wrong sometimes. There was a time when everyone on the planet thought that it was flat. Now if you're a flat earther this morning, I'm not trying to offend you. (laughs) That's between you and and whoever. I'm gonna leave that alone. (laughs) But popular opinion doesn't always agree with what God's word says. And when there is a divide, when there's a disagreement, God's word always wins. There will be times when emotionally I want to change what I think to comfort the person I'm with, but God doesn't allow for that. I'll give you a good example of this. Growing up and I've told you this testimony before. My aunt that raised me, my great aunt, Elaine, that raised me, she was a homosexual. And there were times that she asked a lot of questions about the Bible. And there were a lot of times as a young believer that I wanted to make exception for what God's word taught and I wanted to tell her something different. But instead, the Lord led me to tell her the truth in love not to attack her, not to come at her, not to beat her up with a Bible, but she asked me a question. And with love, I'd say, and Elaine, I said, here's what it says, and here's what it means, but you gotta understand that God loves you. And anything that he does, any line that he draws, he's trying to protect your heart, he's trying to protect your mind, he's trying to protect your life. He has no ill intention for you. And initially, man, she didn't receive those things Well but I didn't fight back. I didn't try to win the argument. I just said, listen, God loves you. You may not understand it, but he loves you. He's not trying to hurt you. But consistency over time in doing the right thing. And listen, she would say things that would be so hurtful And I'd be tempted just to say, okay, because I love her, because I want to have a good relationship with her, maybe I could just pretend the Bible didn't say this or doesn't address it. Or or maybe I could try to misconstrue or misinterpret what the Bible says and make it something different just so it fits so we could have a good relationship. But the Lord never allowed me to do that. But the blessing of that is that consistency over time, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but consistency over time showed her the truth of God's word. And before she died, she gave her heart and life to Jesus and repented from a homosexual lifestyle. It's the power of God's word, it's that consistency over time. It's the ethics that God put in our hearts through his word that helps to lead to the change of other people. It's a powerful thing. Another pillar of our core is our character you say, what's the difference between our character and our ethics? Well, our character is the pattern of behavior that defines who we are. So when you've got the disciplines of the faith, the word of God, prayer, obedience in that, and the consistency of that over and over again, as it develops our worldview and our ethics and who we are, then there's the opportunity to live it out consistently. Consistency over time reveals who we are. You see what I'm saying, church? Our character then is put on display as we live this out. The final pillar is our integrity. Well, how's that different than our character? Integrity simply means honesty, a trustworthiness. And so do you see how it all fits together? God's word, our worldview, shaping our ethics, shaping our ethos. So then creating a pattern, consistent pattern of behavior that identifies who we are, and we live that consistently, there's an honesty in that life. That's our integrity. Come on, church. And when all those things are together, they develop a core that creates a spiritual toughness. And what I like to call a spiritual muscle memory. Now, let me help illustrate this a little bit. So, in my time of traveling, I, I had a ministry where... I travel all over. I was gone a lot. And so sometimes I get, get home really late. Now, that sets the table for the muscle memory part. See, muscle memory is an action that's created because you do it over and over and over again. Growing up in the, in the home that I grew up in and the turmoil, the drama, and all that stuff was, you had to be careful. You didn't just get to sleep at night and not worry about stuff. You always had to be watchful. Somebody would steal from you. Somebody hurt you. Somebody would do something. So you were always real careful when you were asleep. And so when I sleep at night, I don't sleep soundly. If somebody touches me, just to slight touch, I don't like, oh, I don't startle. What do I do, Jen? I come up swinging. Because <laughs> I'm going to knock your lights out. It's a self-defense mode, isn't that true? I come, you startle me in my sleep, bam, right? That's why my kids, whenever I was a youth pastor, they didn't do pranks on me when I was a youth pastor. Well, that one kid did. <laughs> but you just don't do that. And I'm not fun to scare. My kids try to scare me like they hide on a corner. And they try to jump out and scare me. Well, they don't anymore. There's one time Micah, my son, I'm coming home late one night. Everybody else is asleep. I think everybody's asleep. I'm coming in, I'm tired, it's been a long weekend. I'm coming in, I got my backpack on my shoulder, I got my little bag in my hand. I'm coming in, and my son, with all innocence, all he wants to do is welcome his daddy. And he wants to surprise me. and He's gonna scare me, jump out of a little corner and scare me, and so I'm coming in. Walking up, ah! My son met my backpack <laughs> in a violent collision. Wow! Son's laying down on the ground. I was like, son, you okay? You okay? You all right? You all right? He's like, welcome home, dad. <laughs> I was so glad Jennifer was asleep. In fact, this may be the first time she's heard that story. But it was just a natural response. I I didn't have any animosity towards my son, it's just that I just have this thing in me, this little twitch. When this happens, this is gonna happen as a result. It's It's a muscle memory. And so spiritual muscle memory is that you have conditioned yourself so by tenacity in your time in the Word, a tenacity in prayer, a tenacity in obedience. I mean, a passionate following of the disciplines. Come on, you with me, church? When you have that, then it shapes what you believe and what you think. And it doesn't allow outside sources to come in and influence you. You stay strong so that your character then defines who you are in all situations. And your reaction is an honest one. It's your integrity. It's what happens when things go wrong. In 1956, five missionaries were led by the Lord to Ecuador to invest in one of the most violent and wicked people groups they'd ever come up against. They still practiced headhunting, execution, but they built a little bit of a relationship with this people group thought they were making some headway until one day these people turned on them and they were bu- brutally killed by a spear. In fact, there's a movie that you can watch called The End of the Spear that can t- that'll tell you their story. And this may or may not ruin the movie for you, but it's still worth the watch these missionaries could have defended themselves. They had weapons, they had guns, they had ammunition, and they were against these primitive natives that had spears. And you know why? You know why they didn't defend themselves? You know why they didn't take their weapons and destroy these people? It was because they knew, they knew that when they died, their eternity was secure. They knew that their eternity wasn't. That their dying would give them life eternal their dying would give them death eternal. And so rather than fight back, they took the spear. In fact, one of the missionaries' son got to see the guy that delivered the death blow to his father come to know the Lord. And their story's miraculous. And if you want the rest of it, you need to watch the movie but it's incredible. You see, that's a strong spiritual core that in that moment when death is staring them in the eyes, they have the opportunity to defend themselves and do what instinctively might be the right thing, but it was overridden by the supernatural right thing. Do you see it, church? What came out of them in that moment was a deep understanding. They didn't have time. They didn't didn't call a little meeting and a little huddle and say, okay, guys, this is why we're going to do this. And if you're in favor, say amen. If not, then, you know, likewise. They didn't do any of that. They didn't have a business meeting. They didn't have a committee meeting. In that moment, instantaneously, God led them to their eternity. It was just a part of who they were. He said, well, What does that mean to me this morning? Listen, I don't know what you're going through, but I'll just bet that not everybody's life is easy right now. And like they always say, if, you, if you're not going through something, you may have just come out of it. And if you're not got anything going on, then it's probably coming. And there will be adversity that hits us right in the heart, that hits our life unexpectedly. It will come. And the question is, in that moment, what's going to come out of us? What are we gonna do? And so there's the examination of our core this morning. How are we doing, really, about reading the Bible? It's Just something that's just kind of hit and miss, not very passionate, not very meaningful. How are we doing with our prayer time? What does that look like, believer? Are you really spending spending time in prayer? Is it just something you're kind of just trying to get through or not doing at all? Or you're cutting short for other things? How's your obedience? I mean, there are times that my kids clearly understand what they're supposed to do. And man, I wish I could tell you that 100% 100 of the time they do it. (laughs) That's fantasy. And we're just like them. God speaks to us, He shows us things and we find a reason not to obey. Isn't that how we are? So how are we doing in our disciplines? And then, how's your ethos? How are your ethics? What's shaping and what's forming your core values? Have you allowed people, politics, or popular opinion shape what you think and feel about things It's different than what God's word says. You should think or feel about those things. I was reading this this week. Jeb Magruder was a former presidential aide for President Nixon. And listen to this haunting statement. He says, we had gone from poor ethical behavior into illegal activities without even realizing it. Do you understand what that's saying? So they began to start off very innocently and they progressed down a trail that at first wasn't advertently wrong. But they just kept going a little further and a little further and a little further. And so pretty soon they were crossing boundaries they never thought they would cross. And I wonder if the Lord is putting up a stop sign this morning in some of our hearts. Maybe we're taking some steps that the Lord is revealing, maybe even now, that are leading us a little further and a little further in decisions that we know the Lord doesn't approve of, directions we know we shouldn't go, things that we know that we should not be doing personally Relationally, in our jobs, in the way that we operate, in our business, maybe God is putting up a stop sign. How's your character? How's that pattern of behavior? And how's your integrity this morning? For more information about Cherokee Hills Baptist Church, visit us online at chbcok.com.